Kaysan, and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where I introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation, tech, travel, and more. I'm your host, Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic, as well as yoga, running, sustainability, well-being, and great coffee. Listen in for some tips on Nordic approaches to a happier and more holistic business and personal life. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. This podcast is delivered to you every Wednesday. Our guest today is Tietzet Stelma. He's Norwegian, CEO of 50 Degrees North, which is a boutique travel specialist. Tietzet is based in Melbourne, has been working over 30 years in the travel industry, and Tietzet has spent years and years exploring extraordinary northern region and knows the the area better than most people. So Tietzet, welcome. Great to have you on board. Thank you very much, Satu. It's lovely to be here. Now, first of all, your name is not Norwegian. My name is actually Dutch, or to be specific, Frisian. So those small islands on the top of Holland. My parents moved to Norway in the early 60s, and uh, I was born up in uh, in, Finn- in Norwegian Lapland in Karasjok uh, in uh, actually 1969. Wow, that's exciting. Uh, far from Karasjok to Melbourne. Now, Karasjok... Is a Sami village. Yes, that's correct. So it's the um, the head of the Sami Norwegian Sami Parliament, and it's a it's a small village, um, but it's a lovely little village. It's way way up north, way above the the Arctic Circle. But I didn't live there long. I lived there for about only about a year of my life, and then we moved right down to the southern part of Norway. Now I read somewhere that Karasjok has three thousand inhabitants and sixty thousand reindeers. Is that true? <laughs> Something like that, absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, it's an extraordinary place, and I've been back a couple of times, and it's uh, it is it is still a beautiful, absolutely beautiful place. Lots of mosquitoes, though, in uh, in in summer. Now, so then you moved to south of uh, southern Norway to Valer, which. While I read, it's whale in in Norwegian, which uh, is in uh, outer Oslo Fjord. That's correct. So uh, I moved to uh, the island of Kirke, which is uh, one of the four main islands of the Valer archipelago. It's called Valer uh, or whales, um, as they look like four whales swimming those islands. But it was a small uh, community, and we grew up there. Probably about thousand people living on the island, and the only connection we had to the mainland was by ferry. So it was quite quite a childhood, absolutely. Your childhood must have been very outdoorsy life. Absolutely, we lived in a big, big white house built in 1892 by the sea, and we had lots of boats. We spent a lot of time on the water, sailing, motoring around, fishing, doing lots of outdoor activities, and my childhood was uh, quite amazing. I remember well. We were five siblings, and we were always out playing outdoors. We didn't have anything like screen time or computers back then. Um, we had a black and white television. That was it. Uh, but we spent the time outdoors. And my mother had a, a ship's bell. So whenever there was lunch or dinner or 
anything happening in the house, she would ring the bell and we would hear it from a kilometer away and we'd all come running up to have to have our lunch or our dinner. Wow, that sounds almost like a in uh, fairy tale like of uh, childhood that you had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I when you think back uh, on that kind of childhood compared to what a lot of kids experience now, it is so so different. We were given so much freedom to run around and and do our own thing without supervision and going swimming like like eight nine eight eight nine ten year old kids just playing in the water by ourselves, no parents around, and we were just having so much fun. That's great. So you've been over thirty years in travel industry. So where did you get your travel back? I'm sure you know your outdoor lifestyle. You definitely got from your uh, childhood. But where did you actually got your travel back? Look, I think my travel back would have come from my parents. Really, they were Dutch, coming to Norway, traveling to Norway. My father was in the Dutch Marine, so he traveled a lot with them. My my mother uh, was actually born in in Bandung in Indonesia. My mother's family used to work in the in the Dutch East India Company, building the train lines in in Indonesia during just before and during the Second World War. So my family has always been out and about doing things, and I think all our five siblings would have gotten that same travel bug. Uh, I've I'm the only one who ended up in in the travel industry, and my uh, four siblings are um, are all academic. Right, that sounds amazing. Now, so you worked for, first in travel industry in uh, in Norway, and what happened after that? So I started in the travel industry working in hotels, actually in Oslo. So I used to work night shift. That was my first job in in Oslo in the in the travel industry. And then I moved to start working for outbound adventure travel companies in um, in Norway, specializing on China, but also specializing on trekking in the Himalayas or trekking in South America or Europe or wherever. And I was just young and free back back then in the early 90s. And at, at one stage, we were selling trips for intrepid travel in Norway. And I liked the product so much. So I actually flew all the way down to Melbourne for an interview for a tour leader. Uh, that was in 1995 and was successful and started uh, tour leading for intrepid travel in Vietnam in 96, which was amazing. That was when intrepid travel was really still a very small company. Now they're massive. That sounds amazing. So the Asia that time must have been an amazing place also because the tourism wasn't very, very big then. Absolutely. Uh, I remember my my year, spent about a year traveling up and down Vietnam on the coast and with groups from mainly from Australia and it was amazing. Not many tourists at all. And then when we in 97 uh, ventured to travel into China with Intrepid Travel, we uh, really uh, did some amazing exploratory adventures where we went into to the hill tribes in the south where there no tourists had been before uh, which was um, quite a quite an eye-opening experience and traveled on the back of tractors and on old rusty buses but getting to absolutely amazing hill tribes area china so uh, that mid-90s area uh, of, of travel and adventure travel was was an amazing time and lot, lots has changed um, compared to now so as a Norwegian, what was your experience traveling in Asia and, and did you compare your, your life, your culture to Asian cultures or what were your kind of impressions? 
Uh, look, I, to be honest, I don't think at that stage in my life I thought too much about the differences. I just really got into the, the local culture and, and tried to live my life the way the locals would live and, and uh, have street food. And, and so I didn't really, I probably wasn't mature enough uh, being in the mid, my mid-20s to have too much worries about or think too much about cultural differences. We we were just there. We were respected, respected the culture, of course. And, and um, but had a, had had a lot of fun and a lot of great experiences. Tried to pick up some Vietnamese and some Chinese while we travelled, and and uh, the the local population is incredibly friendly and incredibly easy to to get along with. Then you moved to Australia. What made you to move to Australia? Well, I uh, as I said, I'm, I um, I worked as a tour leader in in Vietnam and started as a tour leader in China as well. Uh, Intrepid asked me to come down to Melbourne in 90, late '97 to run their China product. It was new for them, so I thought that that was an amazing opportunity, and I came down to Australia on a temporary three-year visa, a skilled working visa, and I set up their their China product from having. But two or three tour leaders fully full time in in China to when I finished in two thousand end of two thousand about um, thirty five tour leaders there. So uh, I really enjoyed my time in Melbourne in in ninety seven to two thousand. It was amazing, and I also met somebody there. I employed a, one of the uh, tour leaders for China. Uh, her name was Jade Kincaid, and uh, later I married her. Oh well, that was lovely. <laughs> So my connection to Australia at the moment is very strong. <laughs> you must have had a lot of things in common and that, that's really lovely. Now, then you started your own business. You co-founded 50 Degrees North. What made you do that? Well, yes, after a few years in uh, in Australia, uh, I actually moved back to Norway, spent some time here. My, my girlfriend Jade came over to Norway to try to live in Norway as well. That didn't really work that well for her. It was difficult because of language and, and ability to get work. So we moved in t- 2004 back to Melbourne together. I studied for a year at Swinburne. I did an uh, MBA. Then I worked for Peregrine Adventures for about five years until 2010 when, when Peregrine was sold to a big UK uh, FTSE 500 company. And my job became very, very paper-based and, and office-based. We decided to throw uh, everything in and start our, our own business called 50 Degrees North. And it uh, it was about starting or or, or making a connection uh, back to, to Norway for me. I was in Australia with Jade and uh, we lived there. And starting 50 Degrees North really meant that we could we could have a connection back home and and run a business and and uh, sell our wonderful home country to Australians. Uh, that's amazing! And now you have uh, grown the business to be extremely successful. You cover over nineteen countries, not just the Nordic countries, and you have over two hundred tours. What has been your driver in the you know that you've been able to expand the business uh, so fast, so successful today? Today we, in our Melbourne office we have uh, about 30 staff out of 25 of which are Nordic nationals who live and work in in, uh, in Melbourne. They have come to Melbourne for very different reasons. 
We also have a, an office in Vancouver where we have uh, five staff, four of which are Scandinavian staff. And we have an office in Norway where we have seven staff, all of which are uh, Scandinavian. But if I go back to our uh, Melbourne office, it is a, quite a, a significant, um, we are quite a significant Scandinavian uh, employer, actually. I think we are Australia's largest employer of Scandinavian nationals in itself is quite interesting for a small company. But we certainly created a, a very unique workplace with people who've come to work for us that don't necessarily have a background in the travel industry, but have come to work for us because they want to be part of, of uh, this Scandinavian workplace. So many have taken big salary cuts to be there. So they're not necessarily coming to work to, to earn a lot of money, but they're coming to work because they miss home and they want to be part of, a, of this, this unique Scandinavian workplace. So in our office, we, you will hear um, Finnish spoken, Norwegian spoken. Um, we have a very flat structure. We give our staff a lot of flexibility in regards to what they uh, can do, how their working hours, uh, when they can take a day off uh, and so on. We don't really mind if, if they take a day off without announcing it, as long as they do their, their work. So it's built on trust, flexibility and respect for each other. We are all here in Australia uh, trying to have a connection to home, uh, which is important for us. And uh, so we get a lot of passion and a lot of goodwill out of our staff in a very flat, non-hierarchical structure. So your culture in is very purposeful. So people are driven, really driven that they they feel that they have a big purpose. Absolutely, and their pur- their purpose is to be to be uh, offering product to our clients that is product they are proud of putting together. We try not to send our clients to those those areas of, of the Nordic region that are very crowded or, or get a lot of tourism. So we try to distribute the wealth of our, um, of our, uh, without, with our clients that we sent to Scandinavia and we try to give them travel experiences over there that we would do ourselves. It means that you have um, clients experiencing things that they normally wouldn't, wouldn't experience. Being able to have staff in our office that come from all different parts of of uh, Scandinavia. We have some from the no- northern part of uh, Norway, Tromsø, the Vesterålen Islands. We have some from northern Finland. We have some from uh, from central Sweden. So we we get a lot of we get our staff to put together some amazing amazing experiences, which um, that you can't find anywhere else. That sounds really uh, very inspirational. Now, what do you think is a well Nordic way of doing things? What what things you think that are very typical for Nordics to do, and and, and the way how how Nordic people think? I think it is is about the respect and the trust for each other in in a group of people working in a, in, in an office. It is the the flexibility we give each other, uh, the non hierarchical non-managerial setup and uh, the ability to to uh, to work together in teams um, and 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 respect each other we also put a lot of effort into 
making our workplace uh, a great Scandinavian workplace. We have uh, uh, all our desks in our office are height adjustable desks so people can stand or sit and work. We actually imported uh, our office chairs from, from Norway. They are hog chairs from Norway to really give our staff the best they can experience in a workplace as such. So that I think that the, the key is flexibility, trust and, and respect for each other. And also your workplace, if you say that you're looking into well, well-being uh, of your staff and using so-called Nordic design and looking into more be like a more holistic way of, of doing things. Absolutely. Uh, I think that that goes hand in hand with everything we do. If you come to work, we want people to come to work being themselves, not just come to work to try to put on a, a different mask or a different uh, uh, being a different person. Uh, you come to work being yourself and that's how you get the most out of out of people. And if you if you're asking to people to do that, you should also respect the people who come and, and give them an amazing workplace. It's uh, it's very important for us that that people don't that we have people who really want to work where they work. So, and that's part of the reason why our our salaries are probably quite low compared to uh, to elsewhere. But the, the the benefits and the flexibility you get working where you are far exceeds any other workplace. So, how do you inspire your staff? I think that's a very difficult question, Satu. I, um, I I also try to be myself. I clearly, everyone can see in, in me that I miss my home and I miss being being out there in Norway, you know, going walking in the mountains and, and so on. Uh, and uh, I try to give, to to encourage my staff to to think about our company as, a, as an avenue to, to get home and to... To, to bring themselves uh, into our workplace and to um, to give our clients experiences that come from their heart. And um, so I always say to them, pretend that every trip you put together is for your grandmother and grandfather so that they get the quality and the attention to detail that uh, they deserve. So every client is looked after in, in that sense. So um, I think just... Being able to tell people to be themselves is uh, is inspiring, and uh, I think that's important. And so, what do you think are kind of the the Norwegian and Nordic characteristics that have helped you to create these successes uh, in your life? I think we are we are not afraid of taking some risks. We are not afraid of putting ourselves out there. Uh, I think we are pretty proud of of. Um, as a as a group of nations, we're very proud of what we have, our heritage, our our history, and where we have come uh, since the 1970s, where when the Nordic region was really some of the poorest countries uh, in Europe. And uh, looking at where the Scandinavians are today, they're on top of uh, of innovation, they're on top of creativity, they're. A beautiful design and winning awards in design. They have some of the best chefs in the world winning awards around the world. Uh, if you look at the the finalists and the gold winners of uh, the World Cooking Championship in Lyon, Bucustor, there's about every second year there's a Scandinavian who's won. And I think that 
pride we feel with our with our home countries and then being so far away here in Melbourne we really want to show everyone that pride and uh, I think that that if you let let our staff do that and and show that pride uh, that's going to go a long way and it's going to make us as competitive because we have the confidence that we can do things well. I can definitely relate to that. That's why I um, I started the podcast because I wanted to share these Nordic model stories to everyone. Now, uh, how do you think you add value and save your customers and your communities? You know, customers in Australia and, I mean, you also get customers all over the world, but also say the suppliers and communities that you um, you work with in, 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 Nordic, in Nordic countries? I think we give them an experience, a travel experience that they, that is different from what you get other places. And uh, one of the key philosophies we have is to try to distribute wealth in Scandinavia as well. You have more and more uh, over the last 10 years, you find big, big hotspots, tourist hotspots uh, in Norway, in Iceland, in um, in Finland. Some of them, you know, in Finland, um, Rovaniemi every Christmas and every winter is full of, of tourists. We try to give people experiences that take them away from that uh, mass tourism. And that's, I think, how we add value. It's not that easy to do because uh, you often get clients who, who contact you and then they have a long list of, of places they want to see and they're all the most touristy places that they have seen on social media or elsewhere and they want to do things that their friends have done. So it's a bit of fear of missing out. And we spend a lot of time actually talking to them very honestly about the experiences they will have uh, if they choose all those uh, touristy places or the experiences they can have if they take our advice and, and go a bit further away and uh, visit other areas. And that's also, again, about wealth distribution. So having that little valley in Norway where not that many tourists go to and sending our clients there, which means that those little hotels there will make money and instead of all the money going to the to the hotspots. That's great. And for, for me there, uh, as a Finn, uh, you know, when I travel in the Nordic countries, I almost don't feel that I'm overseas, that I'm in a different country. I just change the language. You know, if I go to Sweden, I speak Swedish. But what do you think? There, there are a lot of differences, even though there's a lot of similarities with Nordic countries, but there are lots of differences. So what do you, what are the, some of the differences that you can see in, in different countries and cultures? Uh, I can see quite big differences. If we take maybe the two of the the most different ones, maybe fin- Finnish and Norwegian. Norwegians traditionally have, uh, because of the geography in Norway, have um, have all these valleys going up uh, in the country. And and Norwegians are very uh, uh, not very good at cooperating together. So to to travel to Norway and to uh, find somebody who uh, will give you a complete travel experience is quite hard because every valley is for themselves. And that's how, because geograph- geography actually uh, dictates that and it's dictated that through history. Uh, they're getting better at it, but you can compare that to Finland where they are so good at working together and it's so easy to find a complete travel experience in Finland 
and uh, and the and the Finnish mentality also, but but really hard working people, uh, very smart working people. Uh, well, Norwegians uh, maybe since the seventies, uh, because of they they found all their oil, are a bit more not so hardworking, wanting things to come to themselves uh, or, or ex- expecting things to go a bit easier. So within the Scandinavian um, area, there, there are very big differences. Norwegian is a little bit more lazy. That's an interesting point of view. I haven't heard that before, actually. <laughs> Making video as a team is hard. Someone has to set up a Dropbox. People email in clips then someone has to edit them all together. But there is another way. Vloggy combines a super simple upload tool with a cloud-based video assembly site to make crowdsourced video compilations quick, easy and affordable. In fact, you can make multi-person video stories a thousand times cheaper and ten times faster than traditional video production. Find out more at vloggy.com. I looked some of your Facebook testimonials from your customers. They are quite glowing, I have to say. Voicemail 1 says, Right from the start, we were treated with exceptional service and wonderful offerings, a variety of choices which met and exceed our expectations. Even though we were traveling unguided, we still had the helping hand of 50 degrees note guiding throughout. You provided us all the information we needed and there was really good communication. There, There were like, hundreds and hundreds of people who are extremely happy. So you've done, of course, many things right. So what are the kind of the downsides, the mistakes that you think that you've done when the experience has not been so good? What have you learned from them? Look, I think that like any business and like any one where uh, humans are involved, uh, we make mistakes. I think that uh, we make few mistakes because we actually are asking our, our staff to put together trips from the heart and uh, and treat every client as if they were your, your mother or grandmother or your own family and making sure that the experience they get is the best they can, they can get. But uh, we make mistakes and, um, and as soon as we do, we will stand up and, and acknowledge it. Uh, we have uh, our little office in, in Norway, so if clients travel and they encounter some issues or have problems, they, they have a, a, a number to call. So uh, we try to fix everything as, as soon as we can. We, we've done really well over the years, and uh, we make few mistakes because we, have, we, we check and double-check things. And, uh, you know, when you have Finnish staff, they are very particular, and they are very good at uh, attention to detail. And um, if you have some uh, a fin double checking your work, uh, you'll be sure it's done correctly. Now the life today is very different, isn't it? Um, we are in this COVID uh, virus world, and yeah, your world and everybody else's world have dramatically changed. So what's happening with fifty degrees north at the moment? Well, yes, it's. Um I've spoken a lot about how we've grown and how we've been successful, and uh, and this um, coronavirus situation has certainly hit us very hard. Gone from uh, uh, prospects in uh, mid February of of thirty forty percent growth through twenty twenty, very very good prospects for the year, but suddenly that has come to a complete stop, and we are now in a situation where we um, we have had to stand down quite a lot of our staff. 
we have uh, ended up with a core group of, of uh, people that uh, to remain in the company and, and deal with uh, cancellation after cancellation after cancellation. And there is no income in the foreseeable future. It's very difficult to plan. We don't know when travel is going to resume from Australia to Scandinavia. We think that maybe European travel is going to resume first so that we get Brits and Germans uh, coming to Scandinavia. But it's extremely hard to, to plan and it's extremely difficult time for us. We're going from, from having turning over $2 million every month to nothing. So uh, it's a very sad time. I've, I've cried a lot during these last months. Uh, it's tough. We're going to survive and... Um, like true Vikings, we will survive and we will come out of it a lot stronger. We are actually investing in, in IT and, and technology to, to make our company much more lean, much more agile and much more efficient coming out of this. So we are actually spending while we are down, which is money that is saved, that we're putting back into the business. But we need to come out of this uh, a lot stronger. And I think the travel industry will come out of this very, very different. I'm not exactly sure how, but uh, there are some things that look that uh, are more evident that, that, that look like they, they're going to change. I think that the client wants to be closer to, to, the, to the end product. I think they will not accept too many middlemen anymore in the future. I think that uh, the industry itself needs to charge for the the time they spend putting itineraries together and, and doing work for for uh, holiday makers and travelers the travel industry has notoriously been very poor at charging for their time and their work and their professionalism that has to change so uh, but it's a difficult time we're working through it uh, we just need some certainty. That's all we're looking for. Yes, I think we have uh, big changes happening in the travel industry, definitely in the future, and how we, how the world looks in in a year's time will be very different what it used to be before coronavirus really started. But as many uh, I've noticed, as yourself, you use the time to innovate and uh, pivot and make your business more more sustainable for the future and I think that's what we all just have to do and be very optimistic about the future. I think so and 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 those who are actually starting to innovate now and, and looking towards opportunities in this in this crisis those are the ones who are going to come out faster. If you look at any big innovations over the last 10-15 years they've always come in times of crisis uh, or many of them anyway. What I am concerned about is how many are not going to survive and uh, what product are we going to be able to deliver? Uh, is that little beautiful guest house we used to work with uh, run by uh, this local couple, is that going to still be there 12, 12 months from now? I'm not sure. Maybe not. And and that's the big question and that's what's really sad about it. So a lot of mum and dad or uh, uh, small businesses that will not be able to, to get through this uh, and will and will disappear. Yeah, that's definitely sure that uh, who will survive this time, along with goes harder it, harder it will be, of course, and especially for small businesses and small companies, it'll be it'll be very hard. But let's hope that uh, we all uh, come out good, and we just have to adapt to a new uh, new world and make it work. And and 
And I believe that there are many times when we face these challenges, actually many, many good things come out of these. And of course, very, very many challenges and, and, and a lot of businesses will disappear. But uh, I do believe that we will come up um, stronger as, an, as a travel industry as well, you know, going through these challenges. I think so. And uh, I think we have to. The way the travel industry is being portrayed in the Australian media is, uh, is not very good. And um, I think we ch- need to change. We we need to take some of that criticism, but we're also being portrayed in a in a little bit of a bad light because people are anxious about their money. And uh, the travel industry, uh, we aren't always able to just refund money straight away because we may have may have paid it on to our sub suppliers. But we, we come out stronger, and I'm confident that uh, eight to ten months. We'll sit here and think what happened. Yep, absolutely. Now, where do people find you if they want to learn more about 50 Degrees North? We have a website called 50degreesnorth.com. That is F-I-F-T-Y-degreesnorth.com. There you will find uh, numbers to our Norwegian office, to our Canadian office, to our Melbourne office. There you can find all our tours, all our offering. Call us. We, as Scandinavians, we, we work nine to five. We cherish our free time with our family so we at five o'clock we go home we don't we're not like many australians who sit and work till eight o'clock but you'll find us online and you're most welcome to to contact us and um if you want to travel to scandinavia and you of course also in social media absolutely facebook instagram twitter uh, all those i'm not very good at it but some people in my company are that's fantastic now all the best of luck for the future. You have to find your Viking spirit and you get your sizzle from your Finnish staff members, I'm sure. And, uh, I'm sure your your future will be successful as, as soon as we get over this uh, this big challenge. Thank you very much, Satu. That helps and uh, we'll get through it. Thank you, Tietze. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Voi hyvin, hale sopra, take care.